Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible, a pad of paper, and a pen. Let's dive in. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, Man, I'm excited for a new year and what the Lord wants to do in us and through us this year as a community, together. And uh, if you were here with us for a while, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about just a word that the Lord put on us, and it's the word holiness for our church. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But I do want to uh, w- just welcome everyone who's watching online. Thanks for joining us today. Can't wait for you, if you're able to be in person here, to gather in this room together. I'm going to tell you what, you all sing loud. <laughs> and it's awesome. It's absolutely amazing. It's awesome. Praise God for it. Um, Today, I'm kicking off our series, Reclaiming Holiness. And uh, just to warn you, as a, as a disclaimer, like, I'm, I'm going to lay a foundation of a culture that we must have, but I'm going to go after it. And there may be times you're going to get a little squirmish in your seat and maybe slightly uncomfortable at times. But remember, if you are, I love you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he loves me. And remember... Most importantly, God loves you, and don't confuse condemnation with conviction. They're different. One's the voice of the enemy of our soul. One's the voice of the Spirit of God. So just be reminded. Um, I'm going to sit down the whole message as a warning, okay? That's a warning because I'm very comfortable sitting down, and I may keep rambling. (laughs) Who knows, okay? Okay. I have a little bit of a knee injury, don't know fully the extent of it. Um, how many of you have heard of a honey badger before? A honey badger? So we had a honey badger in our basement. Have no idea how it got in. But as I was going after this thing to protect my family, I leaped over a couch and tweaked my knee. All right, not really. I was vacuuming and fell over. That's the true story. That is the true story. Vacuuming. You know, I'm, I turned 40 last year. I'm like, this is my first old man injury right here. I'm vacuuming the house and my knee gives way. Now, granted, the day before, to make sure I have my man card still, okay, The day before, I went on one of my runs. I run three to four times a week. I went on one of my runs. I got back, and my knee was really hurting. I was like, there's something different about my knee on this run. And uh, the next day, something gives out, and I collapse on the floor. And I'm like, I can't put any weight on my knee. So there it is. How awesome. (laughs) All right. Uh, Here's here's, uh, next week. I, I tell you, I'm so excited for holiness. I hope you're excited as I am. Um, Next week, we have a special speaker coming. I hope you are here. I hope you make it a priority. Here's why. He's amazing. Yeah, we don't have many guest speakers on this stage, but he is a frequent guest speaker here at Radiant Life. It's our regional superintendent, Chris Conrad, my boss, is going to be here next week. He's going to talk about the role Holy Spirit has in us as we pursue holiness, and so I met with him on Thursday, and uh, we were able to talk some things. It's going to be awesome. You remember the last time he was here? I think it was last March, so maybe like uh, nine months ago, 11, 10 months ago, he was with us. And do you guys remember the message he gave, if you were here? Do you remember, like, I, I told him a topic to talk about, and he, like, he wanted to honor me, so he talked about it for like seven minutes and then changed it? Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when you are sitting in the front row and he says, I got another message, I'm like, what is he doing? <laughs> what is going on? But I love it because he's obedient to the spirit and he felt the spirit lay another message on his heart and he did another message too. But the two messages were awesome that he did. You remember that? I mean, I still have people talking about his message. You remember the big statement he said is what you don't let Holy, tra- a Holy Spirit transform, you transmit Whoo, that was gold. That was exactly what the spirit uh, knew exactly what our church needed. I don't know where to put these stupid things. There you go. There, I'm just, you know, they can go there. Thank you. Uh, the back of the chair, you're smart. That's a, probably a good 
spot for it. Thank you. All right, we're going to get in. We're going to start this morning with a question. It's the question, which is the title of the message. Why care about holiness? That's the title of this message. And if you got your Bible or tablet, you want to turn to the Old Testament, to Nehemiah chapter 10 is where we're going to be today. And we'll, we'll look at some of the New Testament as well. But there's a pretty cool thing that's happening in Nehemiah chapter 10 that we're going to unpack and it's going to reveal some things to us. It's going to be awesome. And we're really setting the tone for 2024 as we pursue this idea of holiness together as a church family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, As you turn there, I want to show you a few verses that's found in the New Testament that should rattle us a little bit when it comes to this idea of holiness. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16 reads this way. But as the one who called you is what, friends? Holy. Holy, You also are to be what? Holy. Holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be what? Holy, Holy because I am what? Do we see the call that we as Christians, as followers of Christ, have on our lives? God is saying, be holy because I'm holy. Now, if you're in this room today or watching online and you're not a believer, you have a free pass because we're talking to believers in the faith. So sit back. If you're not a believer, sit back and I hope you understand, though, the holiness of our God and the holiness that we are called as followers of Christ. Hebrews 12, 14 has a very impactful statement on holiness as well. It says this, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, you won't see the Lord. There is an impactful statement right there that the Spirit of God has for you and I, that we are to have holiness in our lives. And here's the deal. A lack of holiness is a critical obstacle to a close relationship with God. You want to see the Lord. You want to go after everything he has for you. The biblical writers say, pursue holiness. You ought to have a holy life that looks different from the culture out there. Now, I'm going to give you four quick statements on holiness so we can all kind of get on the same page as to what are we talking about when it comes to holiness. And this is why we've titled this series reclaiming holiness because we've gotten away from it. Because Christians today, many times, we look more like culture around us than we do like the triune God we worship. And so many times we're called in scripture back to holiness. There's something about being holy. In fact, you and I, we're gonna open this thing up. Like this is called the Holy Bible. There's something that's just different. It's set apart. It's special. It's sacred. And this is what God's calling us to. So let me give you four quick little things under holiness. Holiness, get this, it is used over 900 times in the entire scriptures. The entirety of the Bible, holiness, not over 900 times. Do you think it's important? Right? That's a ton of times to use, over 900 times. Number, number two, it is the most mentioned attribute of God is holy or holiness. And here's what, how you and I often look at God, which is not wrong, but we like that God is a God of mercy and grace and forgiveness, which is not wrong. That's great. But that is not the number one attribute used by the biblical writers when it comes to God. Holiness is number one, more than any other attribute of God. He is a holy God. It says in his throne room right now, there are angels. There are these angelic beings that have six wings and it says their eyes all over and they're in the throne room of the presence of God right now, day and night, crying out, holy, holy, holy. It's set apart. It's something different about our God that we worship. Number three, we as Christians, we're called to holiness. We, you and I read in that first Peter that God, it's a, it's a reference to a reference in the New Old Testament where God says, be holy because I'm holy. 
That there is a pursuit that you and I are to go after and it's holy living in our lives just like we have and serve a holy God. And number three, if you want to boil down the holiness to two words, I would use these two words, set apart. It's set apart. It doesn't look like anything else. It's set apart. It's different. And God is a holy God that is set apart and sin cannot enter his presence. He is so holy, so set apart. But as followers of Christ, we are called to that as well. Charles Spurgeon was a theologian and pastor. And uh, he has this great quote. He says this, unholy Christians are the plague of the church. See, I would agree. Oftentimes we want to say it's an out there problem. I want to say, no, I think it's an inside problem. It's the unholiness because here's what Christians like to do. We like to dip one foot in the world and one foot in the church and think we're saved. We want to engage in the culture out there, which isn't wrong, but when we are habitually engaging the things that lost people are doing, we can't also out of the same mouth praise God. Our actions must be different. We are called to holiness to be set apart, to be light and salt to a world that needs to know Jesus Christ. A lack of holiness is a critical obstacle to a close relationship with God. And here's the thing. This is what the world's tired of. The world is tired of hypocrites. Hypocritical Christians. It's not their fault that they see people in our faith getting drunk at the bar on Friday night and sitting there going, well, then I see on social media how they're at church just worshiping and but I know the words that come out of their mouth. I, they don't look any different from my life. They don't look any different, but we're called to be set apart. We are called to look different in a world that is seeking to satisfy their soul with the things of the world, which only God can satisfy. The rest of Charles Spurgeon quote says this about holiness. He says, this holiness is a thing of growth. Come on, that's what we're going to do this year. We're going to grow in this. Now, remember, I'm going to step on your toes while we grow. But know this, I'm stepping on my own toes also. And I love you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he loves you. All right. This holiness thing, is a, or this holiness is a thing of growth. It may be in the soul as a grain of mustard seed and yet not developed. So it could be there in your soul. Very small, but it's there. It's just not developed. It may be in the hearts as a wish and desire rather than anything that has been fully realized. Maybe it's a groaning, a panting, a longing, a striving, but it's there. You know why the, the seed of holiness is there? Because you're created in the image of God. And who is God? He is a holy God. So I pray that the spirit of God this year upon all of us would grow us in holiness. That that mustard seed would grow into a wild orchard. That, that groaning and panting and longing that you know is there, that you would be awakened and developed into this idea to be set apart, to pursue holiness, to train for holiness in our lives. Nehemiah chapter 10, if you're there, let me hear you say word. We haven't done this in the wild. This is what we say at Radiant Life because we are a community who loves each other. We say, we get into the word so the... The word gets into us, right? That's why we get into the world. Man, I love, ah, I love Sundays. We get to feast. We get to feast together. Man, we feasted in worship. Now we get to feast in the word together. Nehemiah chapter 10. Let me give you a quick backstory if you're there. So what's happening in Nehemiah, you may have heard a guy by the name of Ezra also. You have ne Ezra and Nehemiah are back-to-back -back books. They're talking about the return to Jerusalem because it's been just ransacked and trampled upon. What has happened is two empires has moved into Israel and taken all the Jewish people and Israelites out of there back to their empires, which is known as exile. 
The two empires are this, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And now they have destroyed Jerusalem. They have destroyed the nation of Israel. And Ezra and Nehemiah get favor with the king and allowed to go back to rebuild the city, to go back and repopulate, to go back and build a wall around Jerusalem so they can be safe and protected and rebuild what God had started before these two pagan empires and nations have come and destroyed them. And this is where we pick up in Nehemiah. They are there and Nehemiah has rebuilt the wall. But in the midst of rebuilding the wall around the city, they're facing two things. They're facing external opposition, which means the cultures around the city of Jerusalem are there, but they're giving them pressure. And then there's also internal hypocrisy that Nehemiah and the people of God are facing. Internal hypocrisy because for so many years they've lived in the pagan nation of Babylon and Assyria, and now they're coming back and trying to put God at the center of their lives. But they still like a little bit of that pagan empire from Assyria and Babylon. And so there's some internal hypocrisy going on as well. And they gather together and they're going to define who they are as a people of God. I'm gonna show you Nehemiah chapter nine, verse 38 first real quick. It reads this way. In view of all this, all this meaning everything I just told you. We are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, Levites, and priests. So they're gathering together and they are going to write a sealed or write a document in a binding agreement. They're going to seal it and that's going to define who they are as the people of God now that they've left the pagan nations and come back to Jerusalem. This is who defines us. This is what we are together. And then if you skip to verse 28 in chapter 10, because it's going to list all these leaders and Levites and priests at the beginning of chapter 10, you get to verse 28 and it says this, the rest of the people, the priests, Levite, gatekeepers, singers, and temple servants, along with their wives, sons, and daughters, everyone who is able to understand and who has, watch this, separated themselves from the surrounding people to obey the law of God. They are gathering their entire community and everyone who has separated themselves from the surrounding people to obey the law of God. This is who they are defining themselves to be. We are separating ourselves from the surrounding people. Sounds like holiness to me set apart. We're different. We are people of God. And then it says, enjoin with their noble brothers and commit themselves with a sworn oath to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses. And we're going to follow and we're going to obey. That's pretty good. I mean, if God gives us law, we should obey. We should follow and obey. Carefully, all the commands, ordinance, and statutes of the Lord our God. So here they are, writing this binding agreement. Because here's the idea. It's no good to protect and restore the city of Jerusalem and build walls around if we have a rotten culture within the city. That's what he's after. So their idea is this, lean in. They are doing this and so are we. What God is calling, guard the culture of our heart and guard the culture of our community. That is what's happening right here. They're separating themselves from culture. We're set apart. We're different. We are the people of God. And that makes the case that followers of Jesus, we must do the same. To guard the culture of our heart and guard the culture of our community. Because we live in a world where things come in, they interrupt, and they destroy families, lives, hearts, identities, and churches. Things will creep in. And if you don't guard against the culture of your heart, and if you don't guard against the culture of the biblical community we are a part of, Things will come in and destroy. 
So if we're going to look at some of the other points of Nehemiah chapter 10, here's where I want to land. I want to land on three big areas that I see in Nehemiah chapter 10 as they're rebuilding the city, three areas that is going to define a holy culture. So three quick, well, <laughs> lean your neighbor and say, kind of quick. <laughs> is this making sense so far? Okay. Here we go. Here's number one. I'll give you time to write. Ready? We must guard the integrity of relationships with the pursuit of holiness to guard the culture of our heart and guard the culture of community. We must guard integrity of relationships. Let me show you what verse 30 says in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 30. It reads this way. We will not give our daughters, remember this is their binding agreement that they're all gonna sign and seal to say this is who we are. We will not give our daughters in marriage to surrounding peoples and will not take their daughters as our wives, as wives for our sons. They're making a statement right here, but please lean in for a moment, please lean in. There's a challenge they're facing right now in this moment and making that agreement. Here's the challenge. Number one, they, are in finan- they have financial insecurity at this point in their life. Everything has been destroyed and ruined. They have no backing. It's easy then to go make relationships with all the culture that's around us, all this evil pagan culture around us to get financial backing to do what we're supposed to do. Very tempting. Here's the other thing. Before you read the, before in early Nehemiah, it tells us that the Israelites are coming off of a severe famine. It would be very easy to go marry off your daughter to that pagan nation right over there or that pagan culture that's right outside these walls just to make sure that as I marry off my daughter, my now in-laws family who may have money can help us because there's a famine. Does that make sense? Not only that, They could build alliances with healthy neighbors that are around the city of Jerusalem who would be able to strengthen and support them. The temptation is real. I think it would have been an incredible temptation, but they made a covenant not to do this. They know who they are. They know we are people who are set apart that look different from our culture and we're not gonna intermarry our people with the culture around us. And they also know something. They know God's law. And in Deuteronomy chapter seven, God makes it very clear what they are supposed to do. Let me read it to you. It says this in Deuteronomy 7, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess, he drives out many nations before, and then it lists like seven nations there. Seven nations more numerous and powerful than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you and and you defeat them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. You must not, here it is, you must not intermarry with them and yo, so we'll say you, by the way. And yo must not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. Here it is. Why? Because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. We're not doing that. The Lord's anger will burn against you and he will swiftly destroy you. Instead, this is what you're to do with them with all that sin, because they're gonna turn your heart away. Here's what you do. Tear down their altars. Smash their sacred pillars. Cut down their Asherah poles, which by the way, an Asherah pole was a sexual symbolic symbol that had a ton of breasts on it. He says, cut it down. Cut out that stuff and burn their carved images. Get rid of it. And he says, he, he reminds them, This is why I'm so serious about it. And he says this, God says, you're a holy people. You're a people that's set apart. You are my people, set apart, belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. That's why we do this. We will look different. We will look set apart. And so when they get back with Nehemiah, And they make this binding agreement. They say within the city, we will guard our heart. 
Why? Because we know if we intermarry out there, we know Deuteronomy 7, our hearts will go to their pagan God. And here's exactly what happens. This is why you don't do it. Because if a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse get together, you will have conflict. Conflict will arise, especially with the Jews who have certain rituals to abide by. They have certain foods that they can only eat and do. They have certain special days to take off and do festivals and things like that. And if you marry, your spouse isn't going to want to do it and will want to probably take you to a party and they have food you can't eat now and now you don't want to go and now there's conflict in the home. And when conflict arises, it's super easy to go from conflict into compromise. Because we don't like conflict. So in order to avoid the conflict or get over the conflict, it's easy to compromise your now standards. And once we compromise, we have conformity. You aren't supposed to do that. You're set apart. You're my holy people. And as soon as you conform to the culture around you, this is what happens. A heart drawn away and loss of faithfulness to God. You're not set apart anymore. You've conformed to out there. Can I just say, this is the sad thing sometimes looking at the American church today. This is the hypocrisy within the church. We look a lot like the world. Maybe not so much like Jesus. We've compromised. And you know why we compromise? I know why. Because that progression's true. I don't want to make a stance on something. You know why I don't want to make a stance? Because I'll cause conflict. And I like people. So it's easy not to talk about certain topics at the workplace then. And then now I'm not willing to bring my faith up. And now I'm starting to hear their side a little bit more. And I'm wondering, yeah, you know, it's just easier if we actually had this different sexual ethic than the Bible. It's a whole lot easier that way. And all of a sudden, we're changing all of our church history and all of our church fathers and all the creeds that were created in the Christian faith in order to conform to look like the world. Because we don't want to engage in healthy conflict. We don't want to stand on truth anymore. What we want to stand on is the the waving of the society that we live in today. That's what we want to do. So we will change thousands of years of rich church doctrine and theology to satisfy a culture that's lost and dark. That's what happens. And the result... No longer living like the people of God. You're no longer living like them. This is why I love you guys. Turn your neighbor and say he loves me. I know you got to realize like as a speaker, I know we're in this, when there's tension in the room, there's tension in the room. God has a calling on us. We need each other to pursue holiness. Set apart looking different. I'm not talking about spiritual perfection. I am talking about a full surrender to God that we are in pursuit of everything he is. See, the New Testament writes about this too. Second Corinthians, check this out. This is so good. I love the word of God. It's awesome. Here we go. He says this. Um, this is Paul writing to Christians in Corinth. To Christians. He says, hey, by the way, uh, don't become partners with those who don't believe. Pretty simple. Where do you think Paul's getting this from? He knows believers and unbelievers should not be yoked together. Time out. Lean in. I love you. Remember? That's how you know this. This is a hard message. How many times Pastor Ryan says, I love you? Please lean in. Please lean in. We must, within the church, Stop dating people that just because they're a good person or they're a nice person. You are to date, if you are a follower of Christian, another follower of Jesus. That is what you are to do. And here's, don't, 
I love you. Don't settle. If you want a relationship, deepen it with the Father. Don't go looking outside the walls for something that only God can satisfy. I love you. I can't tell you enough how tired I am just to hear Christians and and teenagers, you got to lean in too. Of just saying, well, when the first thing is, well, what is he like? Well, he's nice. Oh, nice doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus does. And they're probably nice. They're probably good. But if they're leading you to the bedroom and not Jesus, there's an issue. Cut ties. At what point will we have holiness in our lives? At what point will we say, I look different because of Jesus Christ? I'm born again. I think we have a born again experience issue within the church too. I know it feels like I'm picking on the church. I love the church. I gave my life for the bride of Christ. I do love the church. We need born again believers. That's what Jesus calls us. We are born again. We're not like that. My old man, my old, your old woman is dead. The old nature's dead. I'm a new nature in Jesus Christ. I don't do the things I once did. Those things are dead to me. And now I'm raised with Christ in new power. That's what it is. And by the way, and I hear this more, women, I I love my wife more than you, but I love you too, women. Lean in. (laughs) Lean in. Please hear me. No more missionary dating. No more. There are so many times I've had in my office women who are growing in the Lord, who are hungry for the presence of God, and all of a sudden they start dating an unbeliever or someone who, well, he's good. You know what I mean? He goes to church like three times a year. He's good. He's good. He believes. He may believe, but demons believe too. There's a difference. I don't... Are you born again? That's the question we should. When you go to date someone, ask them if they're a, are you born again? And if they're like, yeah, tell them, share your experience. (laughs) Ladies, guys will tell you what you want to hear. We will. So many times what we do in missionary dating, it's this idea. You get with a non-believer, you're a believer. I'm going to get them saved. So many times what I've seen, this is, I'm speaking from my own experience of almost 20 years of ministry. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking out of that experience. I've seen the woman leave church. They got drawn out and that boyfriend never got drawn in. It is my experience 90% of the time. We have to kick this missionary dating out of our culture. Stop it. Pray for them. Love them. Be friends. But don't enter into a relationship with them. Be friends. Don't become partners with those who don't believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship does light and darkness have, right? What agreement does Christ have with Biala? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? Completely opposing things. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell and walk among them and I will be my God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, be set apart, pursue holiness. You are my people born again with my presence and my spirit dwelling inside of you. You are different. And don't touch anything unclean. And I welcome you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, come on. God's word's awesome. So then, dear friends, since we have all these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing, what's the one word? Holiness Holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Why would we ever do this? Why do we care about integrity and relationships? Lean in. It will make us the kind of community God can walk among in power and holiness.
Hey, husband and wife, real quick. Husband and wife, guard the culture of your heart. Guard the culture of your heart. Affairs start slowly. I've done many marriages, and not one time have I ever done a marriage where they got together and said, I can't wait to have an affair on you. But it happens. It's a slow fade into an affair. You must guard your heart emotionally. Guard it. Guard the culture of your heart. And even if you're like, ah, it's innocent, fun. Ho, ho, ho. Why are we equating innocence with something that could be progressing from the other party that we have no idea? See, the issue is we think, well, I'm innocent in it. You have no idea what the other party's motives are. You're not only protecting you in your marriage, you're protecting the other person's marriage as well. We must have integrity of relationships. And I want to say this. <laughs> you uncomfortable yet? <laughs> I love it. You may think, Ryan, it is none of your business what I'm doing, who I'm texting, who I'm talking to at work. It's none of your business what I do. Lean in. I love you. You cannot be a part of a faith community with a level of arrogance and individualism that says you have no impact on your faith community. You bring something into this room, wherever you worship, whether you go to another church or whatever, you bring things into the room. It will impact everyone in the room. We must guard the culture of our heart and the culture of our community. It isn't just individualism. What you do out there, you bring in here and it can change the room. We've had that in worship before. We've totally sensed, we as elders and leaders, and probably some of you, have definitely sensed there's something that needs to break in this room. Maybe one or two, several people brought in. This needs to break. Because Jesus right now is not going to walk through these doors until something breaks and he's welcomed here as a community together. Number one, If we want a holy culture, why would I ever want holiness to create a holy culture? We must have integrity of relationships. I'm going to go quick. Number two is integrity of the day to day. Integrity of the day to day to day. I'm going to do a C.S. Lewis quote here. You could take a picture. He says this. It's never ceased to amaze me that we Christians have developed a selective vision for which allows us to be deeply and sincerely involved in worship and activities within the church. And yet almost pagan in the day in, day out of the business of our lives and never realize it. I have a friend in San Diego. He started a church and it's called Sevens because his heart was, I'm tired of people in our faith coming on Sunday morning thinking they've done their Christian duty and live another, day of, another way of life the other six days of the week and then come back and think they're doing the Christian thing again. So that church was called Sevens because our faith is to be seven days a week. Not just for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. It's lived out every single day of our lives where we work, live, and play. All the time. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, or chapter 10, I'm sorry, I know it says 6 on the screen. Chapter 10, verse 31. Look at what they have agreed to do in their binding agreement. When it comes to the day in and day out, it says this. When the surrounding peoples bring in merchandise or any kind of grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath day or a holy day. See, what's different is they decided we're going to do something different with our conduct in the day to day, that we are going to be separate, that there are special days in our faith, and there, we will not allow the outside culture to infiltrate, infiltrate inside and dictate who we are. We are going to have integrity in how we operate in the day to day of our lives. Uh, here's two things real quick. The heart of what made Christians distinct in the ancient first century world was this. Number one, they had a different sexual ethic. That day was truly, and they stood on, 
that pursue sexual purity and morality within marriage that separated them from the rest of the world. And number two was this, the use of their money and the conduct of their business. Their money was different. I want to ask you this in integrity of the day-to-day. Lean in. If I, if you showed me, don't answer, please don't answer. If you showed me, you brought your computer up here and showed me all your banking transactions, would I look at you and go, you love God and put him first? Or would I look at everything and go, you completely love yourself and give God leftovers. He's not first. He's not first. Think about that. That leads us into the third one. And last, they prioritized worship. They wanted to bring holiness to who they are as a called out people. They prioritized worship. And they did it in two ways. And you can read through the rest in Nehemiah chapter 10. Number one, they did a principle of giving first. Not just with offering, although they did. They gave God the first fruits. Actually, read the rest of Nehemiah chapter 10. It says this. This is awesome. It says that they were going to do everything, give God the first of everything. And then it says this. They went on and actually went exceedingly above what they were required because they loved God. They loved God. I'll give you everything. What do you want, God? God, your word says a tithe is 10%. I'll give you 11. If that's what you want, whatever. Like, like, there is a sense that everything I do in my life is a principle of first fruits. God, you get it before anything else. Lean in for a moment. I love you. This is why we did hands up, hands on the first of the year. We as a body together, we try to create a culture that says we're giving you the first fruits of our year. And for some of us, it wasn't even on our radar. Because you know what's on our radar? I got things to do. The most important thing for you to do is to worship your God. That's why we only created them for one hour, guys. We had an awesome time in here. Awesome time. But we didn't do it to make you busy. I didn't do it to make our staff busy when our kids are at home on uh, Christmas vacation. I didn't do it to make our elders busier. I did it. Because I'm knowing, God, we're giving you the first fruits of our church time. And we're going to seek the Lord together. We're hungry for you. See, where in our culture, friends, where in our culture did church just become an add-on and not number one priority? Where did that go? Here's what's sad. Prior to 2020, prior to 2020, average church attendance in America, by the way, this is not, this is, we have an American problem. We do. Here's why. This is not what it's like, like in Africa, in Asia, in India, our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm telling you, they are seeing miracle and miracle. There are more Muslims coming out of Islam than anything else because the Christians over there are willing to go share their faith and die and become true martyrs. And we can't even walk to the water cooler and say, do you know Jesus? I mean, we're sleeping in America. Spiritually, we are sleeping in America. And here, before 2020, average church attendance, one out of four weeks. All right? So it's like, oh, 25% in a month. Out of curiosity, raise your hand on this. I want to see. How many of you actually, if you grew up in the church, your mom and dad were like, every week I'm dragging your tail there, whether you like it or not, right? Yeah. I remember sometimes I'm like, I don't want to go to church. Mom and dad's like, who cares? You live in our house. You're going to church, right? And, you know, that has its pros and cons. Don't get me wrong. That has its pros and cons. There, there it is. But over time, I truly develop a Joshua mentality. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you're going to live under my roof, you're coming aboard with me. This is what we do. We're the Bib family. This is what we do. You come under my roof, we're doing this together. Pursuing together. I don't care if you're a 35-year-old kid living in my house. And I know I make it sound easy like they're going to listen to me. But listen, if I open my door to you as an adult child, you're coming. This is what we do. This is the Bib family. We will worship the Lord. And if you can't agree to it, I love you. You're going to have to find another place to live right now. If you can't do that, I'm prioritizing worship above everything. 
in my life. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6. I, I promise I'm, I'm really closing as fast as I can. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And watch this. If you seek God first, listen, all these things that Jesus says is going to be provided to you. We wonder why God, why don't you answer my prayer? Why are you so far along? I'm wondering if we're asking all those questions and God's just saying, shut up and put me first. Shut up, because I can't even get a word to you, because all you're asking for is things. You don't actually want me. You just want me to bless your plans. It's all you want. I'm going to stand up for a while. Not for a while, because we're closing. Remember, we're closing? (laughs) We got to get to that. Here's the other one. Don't neglect the house of God. You read the rest of Nehemiah. That's what it was. They gathered in worship together. We've just lost the togetherness because we live in an American culture that's so individualistic and your independence. We forget, we forgot that it's God's family. It's communal. And we forget that sometimes. Worship team, make your way up. The culture among us matters when it comes to holiness, friends, family. And here's why it matters. What is at the center of our hearts and what is worship matters. Let me ask you, are you guarding the culture of your heart and the culture of our community here? Are we truly guarding it? It's not that, oh crap, I brought sin in. Of course, we're all, we all do, right? But it's this habitual thing that just constantly looks like culture and not Christ. It's the habitual part. It's the, are you really pursuing the things of God? Because Jesus has a warning In Mark chapter eight, he says, then he, Jesus, gave him strict orders. He tells his disciples, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. It's yeast. He tells them to watch out. Here's why. Because a tiny bit of yeast will distribute itself. And it's gonna affect the culture, the set apart, the holiness I'm calling you to. Guard it. Historical figure right here. Alexander the Great, a Greek military general. Alexander the Great led a lot of, lot of uh, skirmishes to take over cities. He wanted the Greek culture to be the main thing. But militarily, Alexander the Great wasn't concerned on going into a city and conquering it militarily. Although they did that very well. Alexander the Great had one core idea to go after. His idea was let's conquer that city culturally. Because if I conquer it culturally, I'll have their heart and their mind. I'll have their identity. They went in and changed the arts, their food, their pagan gods, their celebration, their education, and created new stories. Hence the rise of what is known as Hellenization. Alexander Great knew something. Let's go in and just conquer their culture. We'll change them. And you know what he ended up calling his military people? <laughs> this is, he stole something from our faith. He called them missionaries. Go in there, change their culture. You and I are to be missionaries for God, who is a holy God that calls people to be set apart. Jesus also said this. He went from town to town doing really cool miracles and stuff like that. And you know what he said? He gets into towns, he's like, the lack of faith here He didn't say individual. It was a community thing. The lack of your faith as a community, I can't do miracles here. And so he leaves. As we start 2024, we must guard the culture of our heart and guard the culture of our community. And know this, an individual's power will go with them based on their intimacy with God. That's why you gotta dig a deep well of intimacy with God. His power through the spirit will come upon you and it will overflow out through you. A community, 
A community's holiness and faith, though, will determine a move of God. We must guard the culture of our heart and the culture of our community. This is from a clip from the movie The Martian. Anyone see The Martian? Yeah. So that's Matt Damon. Uh, Matt Damon is on Mars. That's Mars right there. You can see the, the redness a little bit in the soil, but he's in a biosphere. And within the biosphere, he's growing things. And only in the right condition on planet Mars in the movie can these plants grow. It's the same with our faith. Are we in the right greenhouse or the right biosphere where your faith can blossom? I want to ask you a question. What are you bringing to the culture God is building here? Are you in the right biosphere and greenhouse to grow your faith? Or are you in the biosphere greenhouse of culture? And that's actually what you're bringing here on Sunday. Guard the culture of your heart. Guard the culture of our community. I promise these are the last slides, by the way. I promise you. Turn your neighbor and says, he still loves you. I know you could be sitting there going, Ryan, why are you judging me? For Paul writes in Corinth, I wrote you a letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Who is this? Paul writing to the Christians in Corinth. I did not mean the immoral people of the world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, yo, I like you, yo. Yo would have let leave the world. He says, I don't mean out there. But actually, I wrote to you to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister and is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or verbally abuses a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such a person. He says, I'm talking about within the church of what you're allowing within the church, the culture that's in the bride of Christ. He goes, for what business is it of mine to judge those on the outside? Don't you judge those who are on the inside? Ha, we get to judge brothers and sisters. God judges those on the outside. Listen, they don't have faith. They don't know the morals. They don't have a relationship with God yet. They don't know Jesus. But he says, inside you claim to know Jesus. Be careful the culture that you bring in with you because it affects the whole community. Be careful. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Friends, we want to have the right culture. We want to pursue everything. Cultivate the right culture. Start having holiness in our lives. Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out the Radiant Life. Dot church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.